0: It's a podcast you like, remember? Yeah, remember? That's Karen Kilgara. Oh, that's Georgia Hardstark. We're from last week. You remember. It was, I believe, Thursday of last week. when you last checked in with us? And the past 100,000
1: Thursdays before that. Oh, we've been through so many Thursdays together. Guys, it's like we're thirsty. Thirsty Thursday, everybody. Yeah, everyone's favorite day. <laughs> <laughs> um, How are you? What's going on? How's your coffee?
0: Mm. <laughs> Good stuff. Gross um so gross sorry 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 canadians um i uh i forgot that people like my sister who have misophonia i believe it's pronounced Uh can't have you just drinking coffee into the mic as a joke okay because they don't like sounds we just got so many hang-ups yep come back come back i'm sorry (laughs) she'll never drink again she's gonna die of (laughs) thirst i will for you listeners yeah uh what's up with you you know I see your sparkly nail polish. Oh, isn't it nice?
1: It is really nice. It's because I wanted to watch TV yesterday, but feel guilty just doing nothing but watch TV. <laughs> so I either paint my nails or sew some shit. Oh. Yeah. What have you been sewing? Can well, you like, say? I'll sew like a vintage dress that has a rip on the side. You know, just mend. I'll mend. Little women's style. Yeah. Or I'll paint my nails. And so that's why I have sparkly nails today.
0: I'm going to start calling you Joe. Why?
1: Oh, it's one of the sisters. <laughs> okay. in I wish he wouldn't.
0: <laughs> no, it isn't the best nickname. Um, what's up with you? Well, my dad's in town. <gasps> That's right. As you well know, because Jim. I've farmed Jim out to Vince. That's Thank right. God for Vince Averill. Because I couldn't, I was like, I'm going to have to have my dad come to the studio while we record for two hours yeah. and we're going to be in a little room yelling fuck and my dad's <laughs> going to be sitting outside with his arms crossed. And he'll be like, no, I'm fine here. Well, oh, it's <laughs> fine. But he can't like sit because his hip is yeah. weird
1: or whatever. Either you know. that or like try to wrangle him and do an Uber by himself. Never. Right.
0: Couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't do it. My my sister had him take an Uber to a fireman's lunch recently because yeah. she was like, do not drive to a yeah. fireman's lunch where all you do is drink. <laughs> um, and but we were both so worried. We're like, what if it's a really low car? He can't yeah. get into an out of a low car. Plus, is he just gonna get into a stranger's car? No, he's gonna
1: need to see his ID. <laughs> he's. Good. I don't. My dad drives an Uber, and I don't even think he can. He would know how to order
0: and get into and
1: <laughs> take a ride from an Uber of his own car of his own. Like if it was if
0: he calls one, he won't get it. I was actually just telling him how proud I am that he is the kind of person that at least tries to operate in the modern world. Yeah. Because I said, and he said this to me because we, of course, we immediately start talking about politics and the way things are, because it makes me very happy that my dad is not a Republican. so lucky. And I'm sorry to brag at you. I wish you would keep, I just, (laughs) I have hope still. But I said, part of it must be. The intense fear people who grew up without computers at all. Mm-hmm. It, it's younger people can't imagine it. But like my parents, people of baby boomers and those people of that age, it's not just liberals. They want us to yeah. use the word liberals to say that's the enemy or that's who's ruining everything. What they're really scared of is technology because mm-hmm. they don't understand it and they don't Interact with it that much. And when they, they don't do, trust it. yeah, they, yeah, when they do, it's like, oh, everyone's coming and get your thing, lock your door and yeah. buy this flag. You know, that's like what <laughs> their media, that what they fear. turn to it's for fear. comfort yeah. is. And so it's just like, I'm like, dad, it's just the idea that you just have that iPhone, yeah. text us, and you try to do things yeah. is like the whole, the spirit of all of it is just like, Get in there a little bit. Look, you're old, but you're still doing shit. That's all we're saying. Just live in the fucking real world. You're basically one of the golden girls. Just un click off like you told your children so many years before. Turn off that TV That's set. Right. Get away from the the pipeline that says you are you should be in fear of the other person. Right, but don't go overboard like Marty
1: and like go full-fledged into Instagram. I feel like when I was 16 and first got on the internet and it was in chat rooms and shit, sure. and I know my dad would have fucking broken my neck. If he had known that I was just talking to strangers. Just
0: whoever. Yeah. Just take all comers. Now he's doing it. Yeah. Cause now he's sixteen on the internet. <laughs> right. Sixty year olds are sixteen. Hence all the emojis he sends me. <laughs> Oh, my God. What's his number one emoji from
1: Marty? I you were going to say, what's his number, his phone number? Can I call Marty? <laughs> um, he'll do a lot of cars, like, I'm headed over, car. <laughs> or like, I'm headed over to your car, in a car to your house, emoji. <laughs> or, you know, like, it's like a thumbs up emoji. Oh,
0: that's good. Yeah. Ones that I don't use. I, I feel like um, I feel like the emoji use... I think I told you this. When my sister first started using emojis, yeah. it made me laugh so hard because it is the opposite of her personality. Yeah, yeah. It's like this super cutesy... So she'd be like... uh. She'd be like, call me, dummy. And then it'd be like, <laughs> puppy, rainbow, I love, laughing with I crying. I love the random ones. Yes. You know she'll your sister, just hit six of them. Do you know your sister texts
1: me sometimes?
0: <laughs> she does? <Yeah. laughs> when there's a really
1: cute um, like Elvis drawing on the internet, she'll send it to me.
0: Oh, I know. I'm like, look at this. <laughs> it's very sweet. She makes yeah. me happy. You know what it is. She's a she is a lurker of our whole situation. She enjoys yeah. it, but she de- isn't going to enjoy it to our faces, right? That's not how she does it. No, but it's. And sh- I, I think she can be a
1: little sweeter to me in that way because we don't have. Just decades of his, <laughs> bad, bad history. Of
0: huge scars. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. Just long, you know? Ugly scars. Yes, yeah. That's um, right. Speaking of... Uh, Thank you for allowing it. Yeah. Teach me.
1: <laughs> well, try it with my sister sometime, and then we'll <laughs> talk. Uh, Lee and I have good, great conversations I when I see her at, I like, your parties you and stuff. I like her. Yeah, she's... Her personality is more, like, yours than mine, actually. Yeah. That's weird. Okay. Switchy. Switchy. Um, there's a new MFM animation... That's yes. up by Nick Terry. So good. This one's a simple one of the cello. It is the
0: cutest. It's so cute. Funniest. I mean, I thought the ba- Mothman. The Mothman is the best one to date, I think. It's so good. And those sunglasses are so hilarious. Listen, <laughs> I,
1: I have the sunglasses. I have a bat costume yeah. and I have a plan for Halloween. Yes, Just girl. Check my Instagram. It's going up. Girl, I'm not no more. Let's say no more. But it makes me so happy that like as a kid playing cello, the humiliation I went through for it like paid off. Yes, there's for a reason that this sad girl
0: played cello. It's all we're scooping up all the childhood sadnesses and traumas, and we're uh, processing (laughs) them and allowing our listeners to process for us. That's right. It's a real nice favor, y'all are doing. You guys are helping. You're helpers. (laughs) Look for yourselves. So when he made. You so tiny she next to that. Channel. <laughs> and then I yell, that's not about me. <laughs> it was so good. So cute. Nick Terry. Thank you so much. Yeah. You really enhanced the
1: podcast.
0: Yes. It, it's so exciting. Yeah. To, to come upon those. And also to be able to show people like uh, I got to show my friend who is from Wisconsin, the um, Dairy Queen g- cheese wheel yeah. parade one. Yeah. 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 That what is so hilarious and I can't even explain no. how it's hilarious and I would never it's like replay. It's dream. Yes, it's insanity. <gasps> and none of us, I don't think either of us would play the podcast where people would be like, yes. let's, let's be funny but it's almost like, look this, <laughs> this is what we mean when we say <laughs> this it. This happened. <laughs> he came into our brains and was like, I got this.
1: <laughs> and you don't even have to worry about it or be talented artistically. God bless you, Nick Terry. God bless you. God bless you to all the murderino makers who draw just the Ugh. cutest shit right now. The what treasure about- one. There's like a treasure treasure is
0: amazing thing going on for the each <laughs> um the other one that i loved was really simple it looked like a children's book and it was us oh, i posted that the blue oh my god i think
1: there's this inktober is a thing and i think the word of the week is treasure and so all you feel are dry i know it's amazing it's cute we are lucky lucky we thanks are. you guys thanks guys very talented S- out there speaking of <laughs> not speaking of. You know me by now. Um, my favorite weekend, November 1st and 2nd in Santa Barbara. The packages are sold out, but there's single tickets to the show, so you don't even have to come see us. You can go see Murder Squad or the per cast. Pick the show you want and go see it. Or can we announce that we're doing a live show with Till Tillit Right, our special guest?
0: Sure. We're so excited. <laughs> right? We're allowed to. I mean, we are. But I mean, we are doing that. Yeah. It's basically um, like in conversation with. Yeah. it's kind, of, And we're going to to make him talk about how he made Billy Balls and apparently there's going to be some pictures never before seen content from the show that Georgia was so obsessed with. The Ballad of Billy Balls you guys haven't listened to it yet on the pod, um, uh, the podcast platforms. Yes, get out there and listen because it's a really beautifully well done a true crime but also almost just like family deep dive yeah. it's such a good podcast. It is and
1: we're huge fans of his and we're gonna this hopefully is the first of many collabs we do with him yeah um, so go to myfavoriteweekend.com to get tickets if you're in LA drive up if you're in San Francisco, drive down? Yes. Okay. I get that wrong. I I always drive up to places. If you're in Reno, drive south Across. West. West, west, west. (laughs) You know where you are and which way it is. We don't have to tell you. Do we have to tell you how to get to Santa Barbara? Because we're going to give you the wrong directions. Yeah.
0: We're not the people.
1: And then, of course, we have the fan cult. And we're doing um, special videos every week on Fan Cult Friday, where we post some weird talking head of all of us videos. Yeah. Someone doing something. Karen is
0: about to... Um, read my moon, your moon cards. Okay. Yes, I keep wanting calling call them call Luna cards, but I realize that's because of Luna bars. Oh, right. They're not affiliated. You're gonna watch us eat Luna bars. Oh, it on takes this video. forever.
1: We chew so much chewing. chewing, it
0: doesn't go away.
1: Um, and there's also exclusive merch, which I think is really cool. And then also, you're gonna be able to buy um, gift um, memberships. For
0: your friends and family. In the Fan Cult in the store. In the Fan Cult store. So there's an exclusive Fan Cult store that you can only shop in if you're part of the Fan Cult. But you can see it all at MyFavoriteMurder.com. You can store. shop it and look at it, yeah. it from outside. Wh- whatever you want in the car. Decide. And then you go, this is worth 40 bucks. A year. A year. A year. A year. Break it down. All
1: we charge you normally is your heart and soul and deep devotion. And and sometimes uh,
0: sleep. Sleep. A little a yeah. touch of sleep and maybe your feeling of security so. while you sit in your apartment by yourself. But still. <laughs> I mean, you should lock your door. And other than that, it's a uh, fan cult, is rough, it roughly turns out to about a quarter a day. That's right. <laughs> the I same made, as a cup of coffee. I made it all up. <laughs> Hold on. Can I just talk really quick about a story that was in the news recently? Please. <laughs> many, many people sent this to us okay. on Twitter. I wasn't there. Okay. So last week, it, uh, well, October 15th, this story broke. There was a Dutch family who were um, found in a secret room in their farmhouse, uh, and they had been waiting for the end of time for nine years. No, that's too long. Yeah. It's a really long time to wait in a small room under a set of stairs like Harry goddamn Potter. They just stayed there? Yeah. So, here's the story. In this, um, it's, let's just say drenth. Okay. But. Or drenta? That's right. A drenta? It could be anything. It could be trenta, like at Starbucks. (laughs) The order, the size that everyone's afraid to order. Only the bold get a trenta. Um, So that basically a guy shows up in a local bar in this city that only, or town, I should say, because mm-hmm. it only has 3,000 people in it. And he rolls up to this bar and this mm-hmm. bartender, uh, says a guy came in, ordered five beers and drank them <laughs> and they started talking old. I like it. Right. He's <laughs> totally my type. Um, and the bartender said he had a chat with them and he, he told them this story that ma- immediately made him call the police. Mm. And the story was that, uh, the guy had, long hair, a dirty beard, he had old clothes on, and he looked very confused. He said he had never been to school, he hadn't seen a barber in Mm. nine years, and that he and his sisters and brothers lived on this farm. He was the oldest, and he wanted to end the way they were living. So, when the police went to the farmhouse, they discovered a hidden staircase behind a cupboard in the living room that led down to a secret room. Oh my god. Where this family of, I believe, six people (gasps) were being housed. There's some Unbreakable Kimmy shit stuff. Isn't it? Sh- Kimmy Schmidt shit. Schmidt shit is what it yeah. is. Yeah. The quote that Stephen pointed out to me, which is hilarious, is the, the mailman, the local postman said um, he'd never delivered a letter to that address. And then he went, it's actually pretty strange now that I come to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you dick!
1: <laughs> I mean, this story just shows you really, more than anything else, the power of beer. Yeah. And how, at the end of the day, the thing that'll get you out of fucking
0: hibernation Is beer. I mean, I'm such a believer, but um, sometimes coffee works, too. Yeah. (laughs) Coffee's great. But, you know, if you've been, say, if you've been in a cupboard for nine years, you go down and take a walk down. Maybe share your story and your haircut with someone nearby (laughs) that runs a place that has a phone. Tell your barber or tell your bartender. (laughs) Yeah. They'll listen. They will. And they'll keep those secrets if need be. Or just call 911. Or call call 911 if need be uh more need be if need be if need be um I, I hate when people create the end of the world when they're hiding from it i know, know. i know that's sad it and is a sad story it's a sad story but in a way aren't we all every day creating oh, the end of the world aren't that we, we all need hiding to hiding from the apocalypse out of the cupboard of your apocalypse karen stop it that is so good it's true right you can kind of do that to any statement anyone makes. <laughs> but aren't we all? And but I love the apocalypse.
1: <laughs> like that's a good, like that's a good friend of
0: mine. Yeah. The, well, the apocalypse is great because it's that idea that there is gonna be this very succinct end to all of our pain. Impending doom. But there's not going to be it. Usually it's just regular life. Yeah. So we're gonna buck up and get out of your apocalypse cupboard, please. Get a haircut, get a trim. Yeah.
1: And fucking get a couple beers in you and live your life. And if you can't afford to go to the barber
0: slash hairdresser right now. Or don't drink, which is fine. You can. Yeah. So here's your options. You can go to the bartender and drink. (laughs) You can stay home and cut your own hair Mm -hmm. drunk. Mm -hmm. That's how I used to do it. You can also do that sober. I've done that recently. Uh Very bad idea.
1: Cut your own hair sober. Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: right. I just thought I was trimming you just a couple of ends. Hair. Yeah. yeah. I love that feeling. It is fun. Because you shouldn't do it. No,
1: you shouldn't. But what if it's great this time? Yeah. What if this time it's the best haircut you've ever had? What if this time it solves all those other problems I have? Right. Just by putting scissors to the hair <laughs> is my idea. And not haircut scissors. <laughs> no. Nope. Which I still have a pair from when I went to beauty school when I was 18. Those ones. That I continue to use. On your bangs? Yeah. Because they're real sharp. Well, not for 20, not for the past <laughs> 20 months. fucking years. Oh, shit. They're 20 years old. So you use, you use dull old haircutter scissors. Student haircutter scissors. Oof. Do they have a little pinky holder on this? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. that's classy. That's I, classy. It's, it's good to pretend that you know what you're doing, but that's about it. True. This. Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> I know what you were going to talk about. What? Lizzo.
0: <laughs> I wasn't, but that's let's talk we about it. We saw Lizzo live. That's right, Steven was there. Steven was there. And Vince the was Palladian. there. Steven was there. Vince was there. Brandy Posey was there. Yeah. Um Solomon Giorgio was there. That's right. All our friends in the LA community. Yeah. And uh, it was it was enlightening. It, it was, was empowering. <sighs> her voice is humongous. It's not like you know, sometimes you're like, "This is trendy or this is popular yeah. because this, that, or the other thing." Yeah, you're wrong if you think that about Lizzo. Yeah, because Lizzo's voice is ten times huger than anyone's I've ever seen. It is yeah. operatic, and then the fucking songs are such—they're all anthems or ballads. Yeah, they're and fucking you, hits. You, they're all hits, and then her fucking team of rad women dancers of yes! every possible shape and proportion, it's just the best feeling. Look, I bought a shirt. I never buy a shirt. (laughs) I'm going to yoke that motherfucker, and I'm going to wear it with pride. We got merch. We worked that show because it was like we got there. Oh, I want to apologize. The one girl that came up and talked to us, I was a little... uh, uh, let's say bewildered mm-hmm. because she was screaming. Was she? I think it was just really loud in there. Well, I took it as screaming <laughs> at me, so I was a little bit like, "Uh oh, what's what? What yeah. is happening?" And then George is like, "Do you want to take a picture?" Like her, George, I. Took from the look on your face of like, no, no, this is a person that's trying. And I was like, oh, yeah, hi. And (laughs) she was trying to talk to me, but it was just the volume was up in a way that I don't like in public. Yeah. So it took me a while. So sorry to that person. Yeah. Do you remember? Was her name Stephanie? I bet you're right, but I'm so bad. You know, I'm so bad. At I'm just digging into the she was random a, pile. She but was
1: a doll, so I she feel was like it must so have just been
0: a fluke. It was pure excitement. And like when, when we hugged her to take the picture, she yeah. was shaking. So it she wasn't, was yeah. she was not, it, it's just when you approach. You can't come at screaming. I will think it's an emergency. I'm not used to this. It's weird. Yeah. So, so if you have your hands over your face and you're screaming, I'm going to think there's some like there's blood yeah. coming down my head, and oh I just didn't see the thing fall. What if the one time
1: you don't, there actually is blood coming <laughs> down your? Head? So, like, you just have to keep doing it. You and also
0: we need to develop a signal. Yeah, Karen, you have a head injury. Right, the girl's not screaming because she wants she wants to say <laughs> hi. Uh, anyway okay did that ruin our lizzo story the point is <laughs> if if lizzo's coming to your town oh my god and you don't buy a ticket you're an absolute fool it was unbelievable i was like to a point where and i don't listen to music ever
1: i was like i need to listen to this cd is cd store the cd player in my <laughs> no, car you sure don't <laughs> uh i need to listen to this yes my car's from 2015 are you sure
0: Oh, maybe it does. Yeah. Burn yourself a CD at the public library. No, I want to pay for it. (laughs) Oh, okay. I want Lizzo
1: to have my CD money. Where? At the The warehouse. warehouse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sam Goody. (laughs) No, every song, every song off of, it's Juice, right? Yeah. Her newest album. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love (laughs) you. Stephen, what was your favorite um, tune at the, what was your favorite number at the big concert?
1: I mean, the title track just was so good. And like.
0: Because I love you.
1: Just, and yeah. also, I forget what the name of the song was, where everyone pulled out their phones as, like, the, like, lighters. Oh, oh that's yes. right. Yeah. It just, yeah, I felt like the crowd was all in it together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like those people get, they either read on the internet what other people do, or they were there, like, Friday night yeah. as we were at the Sunday night show. Yeah. It was just incredible.
1: Steven, I... I feel so embarrassed. I accidentally, when I was hug- went to hug your sweet girlfriend, Brenna, I grazed her boob so hard for <laughs> her in a really weird, lingering way. <laughs> Because I couldn't get away. Because I went to hug her, and I think she went to hug Karen first. So my hand was just kind of in between. So we were all two. in a
0: weird square, and I just triangle. was just
1: like, if I move it now, it's going to be weird. If I yank my hand, you know. So please apologize <laughs> to her for me. She's very sweet, and I did not mean to feel her. She's up.
0: never going to make us pumpkin bread again <laughs> because Georgia uh, no, insulted her. <laughs> Shit. Okay, so this story I'm doing this week, I got the idea from the hometown I read last week that revealed a Sacramento murder yes! series that I had forgotten all about. I love it. I want to know more about this one. And me and I did, too. It is fucking horrible. Great. And I think... I wonder if it was one of those things where I looked at it and went, absolutely not. Yeah. I won't do it. Because it is just... It is so uh 70s, and it's so Sacramento, yeah. and it's so awful. It's Gerald and Charlene Gallego, the sex slave killers. Oh, dear. Horrible. The sources, Wikipedia, of course, and Murderpedia, nice. which is uh, the murder version of Wikipedia. Always and a good source. Always a good source, and please support them if you have extra money, especially if you read a lot of those articles, because yeah. they, they – aggregate a lot of murder articles for us all there's uh, a lot of people talking about this on reddit uh, a lot of goss on reddit Mm. about these stories and people who had kind of like secondhand my uncle got into the car which i really really wanted to put into the into this but um don't think it's the best idea because who the hell knows who's on the internet right but um, marty marty get off there's an article on the CBS 13 Sacramento website um, that had great information. There was also a San Francisco Chronicle article by Joan Ryan from 1997 and um, two women I'm sorry, people. I don't know if they're women Two, uh, two people named Kelsey Insko and Tina Galtfeldt of the Radford University Psychology Department. They wrote a comprehensive mm. chronology. It was a dream chronology oh my God. of these of what happened in this murder series that um, I was it made me I wish I had one for every time I told yeah. the story. Then I would feel like I knew what was going on. Yeah. So thank you guys for that work and posting it online. Um, Okay, so let's get into it. On September 11th, 1978, two teenage friends, 17-year-old Rhonda Shuffler and 16-year-old Kippy Vaught, they're shopping at Sacramento's Country Club Plaza Mall when a woman approaches them and asks if they want to come smoke pot with her. And because it's 1978, the girls say yes. And it's a woman. And it's a woman. Safe. Yep. As uh, the assumption that everyone would make, especially teen girls. So they follow the woman out to her 1973 white Dodge van. When the woman opens the van door the girls find themselves face to face with a man holding a 25 caliber pistol he tells them to get in he forces them to lie on their stomachs and he binds their hands and feet with tape he then hops into the driver's seat and the woman gets into the passenger side they get onto the i80 and they head northeast for about an hour mm. they exit the freeway in a little town called baxter once there they find a secluded location the man takes the teen girls out of the van and rapes both of them Then puts them back into the van. They drive to another remote location. He knocks them both unconscious with a tire iron and then shoots both Mm. of them once in the back of the head execution style and leaves their bodies where they are. So, two days later, on September 13th, two migrant farm workers discover Rhonda and Kippy's bodies. But it would take several years and eight more victims until authorities discover the identities of the killers husband and wife, serial rapists and killers, Gerald and Charlene Gallego. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about him first. Gerald Armand Gallego. He was born July 17th, 1946 in Sacramento. He's the son of two career criminals. So he had never met his father, who was Gerald Albert Gallego, basically Gerald Sr., who was doing t- time in San Quentin when Jerry Jr. was born. Um, Gerald Sr. would spend the rest of his life in and out of jail. And in 1955, he had the... Um, the honor of being the first person put to death in Mississippi's brand new gas chamber for murdering two policemen. Oh my God. So that's his dad, who he never knew. He's raised by his mother, Lorraine, who's a sex worker on Sacramento's Skid Row. So uh, not a great childhood. He spent most of it um, running errands for pimps and being abused by his mother and her many boyfriends. Um, he's very, he was a very neglected child, very needy, uh, always unwashed, really sad, yeah. very sad. Um, and he starts committing crimes and getting in trouble with the law when he's six years old. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. So in 1959, when he's 13... He's arrested for raping a six-year-old neighbor. Oh, my God. So after that, he, they place him in what they called back then a boy's school, which was just juvie. Right. Um, he's paroled in July of 1961. Almost immediately, he's arrested for armed robbery. Um he's sentenced to another stint in juve the juvenile detention center he escapes then he turns himself in serves about a year and is paroled again in 1963 so now he's at the ripe old age of 16 oh and he marries his first wife who's 21 <laughs> what the fuck it's just i'm sure it was just because he had no family and no yeah. home life so he probably got out of jail and was just like someone hold me yeah um uh So in April of 1964, basically a year later, his wife gives birth to a daughter, um, Krista, and then pretty soon after they get divorced. And somehow, even though uh, he's constantly getting arrested and going to jail, Gerald manages to get custody of his daughter Mm. and he sends her to live with his mother, um, the old sex worker. Right. Uh, so just to give a little idea. Yeah. By 1977, Gerald's 31 years old. He's been arrested at least 23 times, Jesus. and he's been married and divorced five times. Wow! Just living life to the out there, lowest to the lowest <laughs> limit. Yeah. Um, and it is. At this age, 31, when he meets his sixth and most evil wife in a dingy poker club, uh. her name was Charlene Adele Williams. So Charlene Williams uh, is born October 10th, 1956. She's 10 years younger than him in Stockton, California, uh, raised by her parents, Charles and Mercedes in um, Arden Park, which is a kind of upper middle class neighborhood in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um her father is a hardworking executive for a grocery store chain who worked his way up from being a butcher. Wow. All the way up the chain into the boardroom. Cool. Um, and Mercedes is a stay-at-home mom. So Charlene's an only child, um, very shy, apparently very smart. They reported her IQ to be 160. Wow. So by all accounts, she should have had a good life. Yep. Um, She's also a talented violinist. Huh. I know you enjoy that with your <laughs> string instruments.
1: <laughs> it's kind of my thing. Right?
0: Um, all that changes in high school, though, because that's when her rebel, quote-unquote rebellious streak takes over. She starts drinking and doing drugs, particularly cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um It's the early 70s. I can't imagine anybody wasn't doing tons of drugs. Yeah, but I feel like if you have that streak of
1: like you got like, it's all or nothing. Like there's some people who can dabble and
0: get out of it. And then there's some
1: people who are just like, for whatever reason, whether it's nature or nurture, just
0: fucking go all in. Yeah. I relate. (laughs) Um, well, and also I feel like if she really was kind of a genius, maybe she was bored. Yeah. Yeah. Bored and maybe a little bit Stifled. Who knows?
1: Sorry, I keep throwing words at you. No,
0: you can't. Um,
1: stifled by her life because she's probably smarter than what she can, the choices she has to live up to. Yeah,
0: maybe. Maybe there's a little bit of being a psychopath in there because oh. we don't know oh. um, for sure. Okay. But there's al- there's always that thing, too, of like living life. There's kind of no boundaries, um, less sensitivity, more of like, who cares? I'm just going to do what I want. Yeah, yeah. But who knows? um we've never seen any of her paperwork so we don't know um okay she barely graduates from high school and she fails out of college hi i I can relate me too (laughs) (laughs) same sirs she also dives into two very brief marriages and is twice divorced by the time she's 20 wow 20 20 um and that's when she meets gerald so it's september 1977 uh 31 year old gerald and 19 year old charlene um are introduced by an acquaintance and they meet for the first time at again what i called a seedy poker bar in sacramento mm. i tried so hard to find out what bar they're talking about because i love the idea but i, I hope I, yeah. I don't know i hope
1: it doesn't exist you mean like what it was called
0: yes the like the
1: al- alibi room yeah or something. exactly
0: would <laughs> <laughs> be like we used to go there all the time uh, it's not that seedy they have free popcorn <laughs> charlene would later claim her first impression of gerald was that he was a quote very nice clean-cut fellow um who didn't even try to kiss her when they s- said goodnight at the end of their first date. Oh, okay. And the next day, he sent her a dozen roses with a card uh, that reads, to a very sweet girl. So this is the beginning of a truly psychotic love affair. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, a week later, they move in together. Red flags yeah, yeah. all around. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. According to Charlene, Gerald's demeanor immediately changes. He becomes very controlling. He takes her money and her valuables. He tells her what to wear. He openly cheats on her. Um, she's both afraid of him and excited by him. Uh, when he... uh Begin so at first they have uh their uh, obviously their sex life is very passionate and they're both really into it but then it gets into uh, a lot of I guess S and mm-hmm. or BDSM mm-hmm. or whatever which then it starts to go out. Past what she's comfortable with, right. but it's past her control. This is according to her. Almost all the information that's like editorial, like that, is according to her, which should be questioned. Right. Because this is just like uh, the Carla Homolka situation yeah. where it's the person who gets the plea deal that gets to, to have their say. Right. And we don't really know who, who was making the decisions or who is in charge. Um, but essentially, um, when Gerald starts, uh, having, Problems keeping an erection during sex. He blames her and starts beating her mm. for it. Um, around Gerald's 32nd birthday, July 17th, 1978. Charlene gets pregnant with his baby. He's not happy. He later makes her get an abortion. Uh, and then one day in July of 1978, he brings home a teenage girl for a threesome. Oh my God. He directs the women not to touch each other, but to only touch him. So the next day, he comes home to find Charlene having sex with the girl. What the fuck? Yes. He explodes. He th- he throws the girl out. There was one website that actually said he threw the girl out the window. What the fuck? But that is was only right. on one website. Right. So I don't know. I Somebody could have been having... Uh, going crazy as they wrote up their stuff but he basically gets rid of the girl and then he and charlene have have a fight and they apparently had infamous fights neighbors had to call cops all the time on them so it wasn't you know it wasn't like everything was going great because they were you know indulging all in all this crazy shit um these these plans to like basically get very sexually uh Experimental weren't solving their marital problems. What? No, I know. Hear me out. What am I gonna? uh, That's my plan (laughs) to fall back on one day. Here's a mask with a zipper for a mouth. This will solve everything. (laughs) Oh no! I got it from American Horror Story season six. Okay, according to Charlene. Um, after so after basically she gets caught having this tryst, this is the fight that sparks the conversation that leads to the couple agreeing that they need sex slaves. Okay, All right. I don't see the through line there, but I mean, that's her story. So they make the plan that they're going to go out, drive around, lure teen girls into their van, kidnap and rape them. That's the. They they decide that together. Jesus. Um, so they enact this plan on September 11th, which was the day that Charlene lures Rhonda and Kippy into the van. Wow, that was their first experience. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, aside from he clearly had no problem because he he yeah. was used to doing crimes and he had done all kinds of stuff before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this was, as far as we know, the first time she ever participated in it. Wow. Two weeks after that, on September 27th, Gerald's daughter, Krista, who is, I believe, um, 14 or 15, files charges against her father for incest, sodomy, oral copulation, and unlawful (sighs) intercourse. It turns out Gerald Gallego had been raping his daughter since she was six years old. Yeah. So... Charlene steals her this is the, her solution she steals her cousin's birth certificate so that Gerald can travel under the alias Stephen feel and three days later on November 30th they leave town they go to Reno they get married and then they flee to Houston so to get to uh-huh. escape the charges but they came back eight months later June 24th 1979 um, and they they drive up to Reno and they There they abduct 14 year old Brenda Judd and 13 year old Sandra Collie. This is like. That's insane. It's so young. It's so young. They go to the Washoe County Fair in Reno and basically troll around and find these two girls who are in junior high. And, um, it's basically, they do it the same way, um, that they, they did their, with their first victims. This time only they offer to pay Brenda and Sandra money to help, um, to help them put flyers on cars in the fair parking lot. So these girls thought they were getting a job Mm -hmm. and probably like, Oh, we can make money. We can go into the fair and buy that thing we wanted. Yeah. Um, But of course, um, she, Charlene walks the girls over to the van to get the flyers um, and at the van, Gerald pulls a gun on the girls, forces them to get into the van at gunpoint. He rapes them. He beats both of the girls to death with a hammer and a shovel and then leaves their bodies in the Nevada desert. Holy fuck. Yeah. September of 1979, they move back to Sacramento, but they're still um, using the name Feel as the alias. Um, So Gerald gets work as a bartender and he has an affair with a woman named Patty. Patty. Um so this is just the kind of stuff yeah. that is like open and they're basically posing as other people now. Yeah. Um April 24th, 1980, um Gerald wakes up and tells Charlene he wants a girl. So they drive to the Sunrise Mall in Sacramento and they see two 17-year-old girls named Karen Twiggs and Stacy Redican and they're leaving a bookstore in the mall. Mm-hmm. Um um, that would be the last time those two God. girls were seen alive. And uh then two months later, on June 7th, 1980, Gerald and Charlene again out trolling for victims, spot a woman hitchhiking alone. It's 21-year-old Linda Aguilar, and she is four months pregnant. Aye. She sees that she's being offered a ride from a couple so presumably she thought it was safe to go with them yeah. um her raped and beaten body would be found over two weeks later on June 22nd oh. um On July 17th, 1980, the Lagos spot 34-year-old Virginia Mochel, and she's walking in the parking lot of the West Sacramento Tavern, where she's a bartender. And actually, the couple knows Virginia socially. They had met her before, but they still decide to make her a victim. What the fuck? And um, they kidnap her at gunpoint. It's all the same. And Virginia Mochel's skeletal remains would be found three months later outside of Clarksburg, which is about 20 minutes south of Sa- Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically this pattern that they have now where it's basically grab girls uh, by gunpoint and then basically drive them out of town uh, and rape and murder them. And then just kind of let it d- no like no one is tracking any of it. It's a spree and no one. Yeah, no. One's yeah. Yeah. On July 27, 1980, the brutalized bodies of Stacy Redican and Karen Twiggs um, are both found in shallow graves in a remote part of Limerick Canyon, Nevada. Both of their hands had been bound with macrame rope, and their cause of death uh for both girls was mo- multiple blows to the head with a hammer-like weapon. Um, so... Uh, later on, they would actually find pictures in Gerald Gallegos's mm-hmm. possession of him with, like, friends in that same canyon. Mm-hmm. Like, when they finally start putting it all together yeah. and get the evidence of um that he and uh, Charlene are responsible for these murders, it's like they're basically just taking these yeah. girls to places that they've been to and that they already knew. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, A couple months later, in the early morning hours of November 2nd, uh, 1980, Gerald and Charlene are once again cruising the mall. It's like so heartbreaking, too, because that was like right when the mall was getting to be like the place you had to go as a teenager. And just knowing that there are these monsters that are just circling outside. It feels like it was so like regular,
1: but the 70s and 80s mall kidnappings. Yes, I'm just like morbidly fascinated by because it was it's just such a like innocence lost kind
0: of thing yeah because there was also a lot of um like a lot of stuff that was built in and around malls you'd have like there'd be like an arcade there was always for children yes it's for kids to hang out yeah it's for kids after high school to shop and be around other kids and stuff so it's like they should have, the second they built those things, they should have like, and this is the security plan right. for keeping the creeps Predators away. Predators everywhere. But yeah, that was before. Yeah, it was before, it was before before. Okay. So they're out cruising this mall looking for their next victim when they see 22 year old Craig Miller and his fiance, 21 year old Mary Elizabeth Sowers. They've just left a frat party that was actually Um, It was like a dance that was held in the mall's arcade. Mm -hmm. So they had just walked outside. Their friends were behind them. um, When the van pulls up and Gerald gets out of the van, pulls the gun on this young couple and tells them to get into the van. So Craig and Mary's friends walk Mm -hmm. out of the arcade right as they're watching their friends get into this white van and they don't know why. Um, And they got the license plate number. Holy shit. So, um, Jay looked through our emails and we have a listener named Lauren M and she is the daughter of these friends <gasps> who saw the van and she wrote us in a hometown. So here it is. Oh my God. Okay. It just starts high. Between the years of 1978 and 1980, the sex slave murderers were terrorizing Sacramento. They would abduct young girls, usually in groups of two or three into their van and rape and murder them. Their bodies were found with many bullet wounds, usually in a remote field. My mom was a freshman college student at Sacramento State at the time and recalls being terrified to leave her dorm room. My dad was a junior and president of his fraternity. At this point, eight murders had taken place, and my parents recalled that the buzz around town was to be cautious of anyone with a white van, Mm. as it was the only real eyewitness info that the police had gotten. Oh so, God. on November 1st, 1980, my dad's fraternity was holding a formal in an arcade that was attached to the local mall. As my mom and dad were leaving with their friends, Craig Miller and Mary Elizabeth Sowers, to go home, my parents announced that they had used the restroom. So, Craig and Mary waited outside the arcade while my parents went back in to pee. When my mom and dad came back outside, Craig and Mary were stepping into a oh. white van. My dad asked Craig if everything was all right and if they knew who the man and women around the van were. Craig responded everything was okay and just to get out of here. My dad thought it was odd as Craig seemed harsh and upset which wasn't his usual attitude. Both my parents left and three days later the bodies of both Craig and Mary were found near a local lake. Oh my God. They had no clothes on. Both had been raped and shot. Holy fuck. My dad wrote down the license plate number of the van they were getting into that night. Thank
1: God. Amazing.
0: Amazing. That license plate number was how they found the killers. Their names are Jerry. Gallego and Charlene Williams. Gallego's father was the first man put to death by gas chamber in the state of Mississippi. And then she wrote, I guess murder runs in the family. And Gallego was only 13 when he first raped a six year old girl. The couple were looking for the perfect sex slave to hold hostage. My dad had to testify in court, and Gallego was sentenced to death in the gas chamber. Spoiler alert. His wife and accomplice turned on him to get a lesson sentence. He died of cancer and she's been released. She claims. Yeah. Get ready. She claims that we'll we'll get to that part later. Okay. The couple's death wrecked both of my parents. They never talk about it as they place a lot of blame on themselves. I find murder fascinating. So I try to ask questions, but both of my parents are very, very sensitive when the topic is brought up. Yeah. My dad claims the years following were some of the darkest in his life as the trial and sentencing were dragged on and on, and he was forced to relive that night many times. My mom has expressed that she thinks of that night almost every day. If my parents hadn't gone to the bathroom, who knows what would have happened? They could have been taken as well, or maybe Craig and Mary would still be alive. Uh, it, it looks to me like they would have been taken yeah. as well, and they would have been dead. Yep. Um and then she just writes, thanks for letting me share this story. Lauren M. Mm. Isn't that unbelievable? unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. Okay. So essentially, because of Lauren's parents, uh-huh. very smart people yep. who very sensitive to what was actually happening and not going like, oh, all right, see you later. Yeah. They were like, this isn't right. It feels wrong. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Because of them and them only, the police were able to track down the Galegoses, get their address, and they end up arresting Gerald at a Western Union office. And he was there trying to pick up money that Charlene's parents had just wired to them. Yeah. So Charlene um, is also arrested. And after she's questioned by the police for hours, she finally breaks and agrees to tell authorities everything in exchange for a plea deal. Mm-hmm. As it always goes. Uh-uh. So Gerald Gallego's trial lasts six months. He's found guilty of the murders of Craig Miller and Mary Sowers. And on June 21st, 1983, he's sentenced to death by the gas chamber at San Quentin. Mm-hmm. Um, June 1984, he has to go to Nevada um, for the uh, kidnapping and murder of Karen Twiggs and Stacy Redican. Mm-hmm. And there the jury takes just four hours to find him guilty. And and um, also sentence him to death. Um, And because of her plea deal in November of 1983, Charlene is sentenced to 16 years and eight months in prison. It's Just not long enough. It's not in 1991. um, Nevada goes to release her on good behavior (sighs) six years early. But authorities in California find out and inform her attorney that if they or maybe they inform the, I actually assume that it was the attorney. But now that I'm reading it out loud, they could have just called Nevada directly. But they basically said, if you release her, we'll just arrest her on other charges and make her serve the rest of her sentence in California. Um, So she ended up staying in Nevada and serving her full sentence there. Um, She claimed that she wanted to stay in Nevada because. Because because she turned on Gerald, he told her he was going to kill her mm-hmm. and that he had connections in the California prison system and she was afraid to go to California. Um, oh, fuck her. Yeah. So Charlene Gallego moved back to Sacramento after she got out of jail and continues fuck? to live there now under the name Mary Martinez. Oh, my God. And since her release in 1997, she's given interviews about the crimes that she and Gerald committed. Um, she claims that she was suffering from battered woman syndrome and that Gerald forced her into being his accomplice. She's quoted as saying there were victims who died and there were victims who lived. It's taken me a hell of a long time to realize I'm one of the ones who lived. Here's a problem. No one fucking lived. There weren't, there weren't any victims who right. lived. Here's the other problem it's a real big uh, issue with psychopaths to make everything sad for them. Right. To not, what person, it seems to me, the people who actually suffer from battered women's syndrome and are roped into these horrible relationships. They don't come out talking about how sad it is right, for them, right? Because they understand and live. They in talk this about how terrible much they guilt. didn't want to do these things and how horrible and these how sorry are. they are yeah. and how horrible it is. Yeah, that, that uh, leading with the "I'm a victim" yeah. is not the way to go. No, is not smart, and it's not a good indicator of what's actually happening right. in her mind. Totally. Neither is this. So apparently, she gave birth to Gerald's son while she was in prison. Oh, fuck! Um, and and that son would grow up. And later joined the army and he ended up dying in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So when Charlene got out of jail, she started a charity called gold country for the troops. Um, and she said it was uh, for raising money to support friends and families of veterans. But uh, since that interview where she was interviewed, it's been looked into. And that charity has reportedly turned out to be a scam. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, On July 18th, 2002, Gerald Gallego died of cancer in Eli State Prison in Nevada at the age of 55. And that is the just another horrifying Sacramento story. (laughs) This time it's the sex slave murderers, Gerald and Charlene Gallego. Fuck
1: Sacramento. Fuck. I never Uh, knew that Sacramento was this hotbed.
0: Sacramento is the Pacific Northwest of California. It is. It really is. It is. Why is that? Because it's so fucking hot? It's... Well, I think, you know, if we had to go line by line, I bet you there's just as many super fucked up things in San Francisco and way more fucked up things in Los Los Angeles. Angeles. Sure. But I think it's because... In that area, it's a little bit like country, yeah. farmland, bucolic. It seems like it's small town, even though it's the capital. Yeah. But this, the murders that come out of there seem to be, to quote law and order, especially heinous. Yeah. S- special victims, you know. Um, <laughs> they, it's always like the fucking... The vampire killer. Yeah, it's always Eron's, the guy that rapes women for years yeah. and just keeps getting away. It's like yeah. deeply nightmarish up there. It for some reason. I'm fucking so hot. <laughs> it is so
1: hot. To compound everything. It's hot. So you just keep your windows open at night. It's
0: uh, it's so hot that during the day the asphalt melts and you can just smell it. Oh my god, melting. Holy shit. Get high off those fucking fumes. I did my best. I was all down near the you
1: ground great, all the time. Karen. Guys, what is that, a penny? <laughs> Karen, you did great. Thank I'm you. I'm proud of you for graduating Thank you. from Sacramento. Oh, bad news. I didn't graduate. No, no, no. Just leaving it. Oh, graduating I mean, from graduated. the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> You're um, right. I got my master's in Sacramento. <laughs> master's in getting the fuck out of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was horrible. Thank no. you. You're welcome. But great job. Thank you. This story, it started on the weekend when Vince and I got home from going out and just were watching Unsolved Mysteries. This episode I'd never seen came up mm. and I was like, ooh, and like looked it up. And then it brought me to a blog post about it, um, at none other than True Crime Diary by Michelle McNamara. <sighs> she had written about it. Yes. So I was like, okay. And it's like rabbit holy and brings you down, down, down. Yeah
0: and did it give you
1: massive chills yes. to be like what's this click and then
0: And it kind of was like
1: it kind of justified this story for me. I was like if Michelle McNamara thought this was cool enough to dedicate a blog post to
0: it then and I can talk about it. And we've talked we've talked about Michelle and her writing and everything a lot on the show, but truly if you've never read her blog True Crime Diary, do yourself a favor. If you're going to get lost on any true crime website anywhere yeah. her writing is so beautiful she makes you I feel like I know so many like cold cases by heart yeah. because of the way she wrote about them yeah and these little ones too are, I mean she just she's so smart
1: and I fall asleep to her book almost every night so it just feels like part of my world now so when I found out about this that she had covered this I was like great yeah I also got a lot of information from a uh, article in the Chinook Observer oh, okay by Natalie St. John there was a Cairo 7 article, or K-I-R-O
0: 7 article, I don't know. Oh, yeah, K-I-R-O? You mean out of Chinook? I love those guys. <laughs> that news is good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All the news you need to know. News.
1: <laughs> All the news you need to... Newsing. News. is uh, An Unsolved Mysteries fandoms. the Unsolved Mysteries fandom site, and, and um, also Unresolved Podcast is in an episode, and they have a Reddit page about it as well. So, this is the story of, of uh, hitman Gary Krueger. Oh. Okay. Okay. And a lot of this, most of this takes place in and around the Seattle area. Okay. So let's start with the Unsolved Mysteries episode. and like, Like what got me interested in the first place. Mike Emmert is a prosperous Seattle area real estate agent um, in the early 2000s. He and his wife, are, who's also a real estate agent, are partners. Her name is Mary Beth. They seem to have the perfect life. He's this hardworking, straight-laced dude. Um, he's one of the area's most well-liked and well-regarded realtors. He had won Realtor, Realtor of the Year. He's like fucking aces, yeah. you know? On January 4th, 2001... Mike is scheduled to meet up with a prospective homebuyer. A man Mike had told Mary Beth was named Stephen.
0: Okay. Stephen. 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 What did you do? Stephen, cut yourself out of this story. <laughs>
1: um, he had shown him houses before. So Mer- Mike had told Mary Beth that Stephen was in his 50s, walked with a limp, carried a cane, spoke in an East Coast accent, and claimed to have been relocating from Northern California. And he, Mike said he was a little bit of a weirdo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Mike and Stephen met at a local mall to head to the house around 1130 a.m. Um, on January 4th, 2001, which is weird to begin with. And the laws have changed because of this case that you can't meet at a second, first location and then go to the house. Oh, okay. Because it's sketchy. So um, they go to the house. It's located in Woodenville, a suburb of
0: Seattle that's like upscale. Sorry, can I ask a question really quick? Is that because it throws people off that he was going to the mall, but actually he was going to the house? Is it like basically because they need to say... It make it official. We're both meeting at this house, and th- the other people need to know about Actually, it. Actually, I think now they meet at the office.
1: Oh, okay. And then go to the house. So together. many people see this person's yeah. face, and it's not. And there's like background checks on the people who are looking at houses now because of this case. So like there's wow. a whole protocol now that wasn't in place back then. Okay. Um. So they go to the house. It's uh like a kind of upscale house on a private lot, far away from the neighboring houses, like outside Seattle. You know how beautiful and woodsy it is and shit. Yeah. So cut to 2.30 in the afternoon, same day. The um, house's owner, who's selling the house, comes home from work to have lunch. She goes in the house and finds the front door of the house ajar.
0: Mm -mm. She's like, fuck.
1: When she goes inside, she hears the sound of running water upstairs. And as if she's in a fucking horror movie, she goes up to check what it is. No. Uh Uh-huh. No. I'm sure she walked up the stairs slowly. How about you call that neighbor that six foot five? Yeah. And slowly saying, hello? Is anyone? <laughs> Is anyone there? Is anyone here? And then she finds a trail of blood. And guess what? She follows it. No, no. No, those aren't crumbs. No. Do not follow trails of blood. She follows it to the bathroom where she finds Mike Amert's body. Oh, God. He slumped across the bathtub. The showerhead and both faucets are running, so they're, like, overflowing. And Mike had been stabbed 19 times. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah.
1: So police surmise that the murder took planning and experience because it seems like thought out. They believe the house was chosen because it was far away from the others. They also believe that the Stephen person (laughs) may have been a hired killer um, and his limp and cane were a ruse. Oh, yeah. Especially because the scene suggested that Emert, who was uh, himself a large fit man, had been attacked in an upstairs bedroom and then dragged across the hall into the bathroom. So someone with a lot of strength had to have done that. And also who knew how to like get people under control probably right or maybe he was like he had hit him first or something right so they also believe that the shower was left running so that the killer could get rid of trace evidence on mike's body etc and they also think that maybe the cane was the weapon like what had a knife hidden inside of it yeah because he was stabbed with like a long knife it wasn't just like a kitchen knife right so like a, oh. phishing, God. you know what i mean yeah horrible Uh, Mike's diamond ring and expensive watch had been stolen from his body and his black Cadillac Escalade had been taken and later found abandoned in a nearby shopping center. Um, His cell phone and wallet were found in Seattle placed on top of a payphone at the docks for anyone to find. Like they wanted someone to find those things. Yeah. So, Kings County Sheriff's investigators conducted this like crazy search into Mike's background to see who the fuck would want to have him killed. They look into his friends, family, his coworkers. They dig deep into his life, um, interview hundreds of people. They clear his wife, Mary Beth, and all of Mike's coworkers, and they can't find anyone who have wanted him dead. He's mm. totally fucking clean. Okay. So, all signs, though, based on this hit, oh, well, it. So, all signs, though, based on the murder point to a professional hitman, but no one can figure out why or who would want Mike dead. Um, The case is featured on Unsolved Mysteries, like I said, but unfortunately, it might not have gotten a ton of views or tips because it aired on September 12th,
0: 2001. Oh, no. Guys,
1: take a couple
0: weeks off. I mean, but this... How many things like that happen? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Just like... No, yeah no No one was watching that show yeah
1: guys and that must have been so frustrating for his fucking his widow who was like maybe this will help the case yeah um they did have one thing though which they kept a secret that was traces of dna were found under Emmert's fingernails because he fucking fought it's almost like he knew he was gonna die and like wanted to get evidence smart yeah and a drop of blood believed to be from the killer was discovered in Emmert's abandoned cadillac escalade they ran the DNA but didn't get a hit. That is until the DNA of Mike's killer matches DNA found at the scene of an attempted home invasion 10 years later. Oh shit. Let's go there. Okay. Um, On the night of March 26, 2010, in the driveway of an upscale home on Lake Washington, around 10.30 p.m., uh, the homeowner, Dr. Craig McAllister, he's an orthopedic surgeon, he and his 20-year-old son, who was visiting from college, pull up to their house. And they park on the street because there's like a pile of mulch in the driveway. Mm. So uh, they walk up the driveway, and as they get near the house, a man wearing a ski mask and dressed in all black uh-huh, uh-uh. uh-huh, rises up from behind the pile of mulch. Oh, my God. Yeah. Awful. Like you're in trouble. Yes. So the guy says, just relax. He indicates in the convoys that he had a gun, and if they cooperate, no one will get hurt. Uh, but Craig McAllister, this fucking doctor, <laughs> he's super smart because he quickly is like, okay, uh, if this was a normal burglary, the masked dude would have left as soon as we got like, he saw us if yep. this was normal. Plus, so Craig's like, I'm outside with my 20-year-old son, but inside the house is my wife and 13-year-old daughter. Oh, fuck. He's like, there's no fucking way they're getting in the house. Um, And he, so he's like, let's fucking do this. And he lunges <laughs> yes. at the masked dude. Yes. Tackles him with the ground. They start fucking fighting. Yes. The masked dude starts zapping McAllister with fucking stun gun. Holy shit. But McAl- McAllister still gets the upper hand. Yes. He's fucking fighting despite
0: all of this Hell shit. Hell yes. He's because like- orthopedic surgeons don't mess around. <laughs> Put that on a bumper sticker immediately. They, they will fix your fucking <laughs> carpal tunnel and they will fight off a masked intruder. That's fucking right. Thank you. Thank you, orthopedic surgeons.
1: But then another fucking dude in a ski mask jumps out from the side of the house, comes up and fucking pistol whips Dr. McAllister from behind. What? And he goes down. So um, at this point, the son had fucking taken off to call 911 from a neighbor's house. But the pair of intruders don't take off. They fucking go to the house and start furiously trying to kick the front door in. To the house where the son went? No to to their to McAllister's house. Okay. house. okay. Sun takes off. They're not like, "Oh shit, we better get out of here." They're like, "Let's keep fucking We're going." Going inside. Jesus. K- trying to kick down the door. McAllister's wife, she's like, "What's that noise?" Oh, "Lady, I know." Opens the door. And then she sees a ski-masked man, and she quickly shuts and bolts the door, though. Like, these two oh. are fucking... um What's that one? What, fam- Home Alone? No, the family of, uh, f- of oh, superheroes.
0: Oh, the Incredibles? Yes. <laughs> they're the Incredibles. <laughs> they are the Incredibles. Um, <laughs> she deadbolts... I, th- I thought you were shitting on the, the masked men. <laughs> no, like, no, oh, yeah. They're total dipshit? They kind of are.
1: Um, She deadbolts the door, and... Uh, calls the police. But by the time the police arrive, the two attackers are finally fucking gone. Mm -hmm. But badass McAllister had ripped one of their ski masks off during the struggle. Yes. And found DNA inside that ski mask. Okay. They run it through the fucking system and it gets a hit. It matches a convicted felon named John Allen Bradshaw. Okay. So he's a 65-year-old man. Can you imagine your dad being a home invasion robber -er? (laughs)
0: Not at all. No. Unless that home left all the lights on. And Budweiser in the yes. fridge. And he'd be like, turn that off, turn that <laughs> off. Oh, I am all of a cold one. I'll Clean the lint out of the dryer and I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, pulls the mask up, drinks a beer, gets the hell Turns out. Turns all the lights off. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Adjust the thermostat. I told my dad yesterday that I kept my thermostat at 70. I thought he was going to have a stroke at my dinner table. He was he going to be Did hilarious? He came last night? Yeah. Is it too cold for him? Uh, he, no, he just doesn't let, he goes, yeah, your air conditioner ran all night. I go, you can't hear me say something when I'm one foot away and you, and the air conditioner kept you up all night. You son of. Let me, let me ask you this. Does he go for a nice jacuzzi? I bet he'd get in that jacuzzi. I've never even, I, you know, I've never turned that thing on. <laughs> I'm I'm having a seizure. <laughs> I can't George's eyes
1: just rolled All the way back In her head right now You don't go in that thing Every fucking night I don't You're gonna have to show me How to enjoy my life We're switching houses Okay (laughs) That's it We're gonna Freaky Friday These houses (laughs) Okay Um, Where were we It was dire Okay Mm -hmm. So they run the DNA Yes A 65 year old man 65 year old man. man Obviously, really unusual for a burglar and especially a home invasion robber. Yeah, his record—he does have a record, but it's not for burglary. He had spent time in federal prison on arson and federal money laundering charges. Who is this guy? Who is he? Who is he? Bradshaw was nowhere to be found. They can't fucking find this dude. But his, but once they find his identity, they're able to figure out who his partner in crime was. See, the wife of an associate of Bradshaw's had filed a missing persons report a week after the home invasion. On, a, on her husband named Gary Kruger, okay. okay. Let's talk about Gary. Okay. Gary Krueger was a 62-year-old husband and father. Another oldie but goodie. These, but baddie.
0: This is Yeah, really. This is like one of those um, Morgan Freeman movies where he's like, I'm retired, but I'm going to get into bank robbing. Yeah. I remember, like, bucket, The bucket list the, of the bank bu- robbery. The bucket list of in Las Vegas where we're going to like, <laughs> come on, guys. It's the
1: bucket list for uh, felons. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Gary Krueger, is a former Marine and also a former Seattle police officer. Uh oh. Say what? So he's born and raised in the Seattle area. He was a Navy cadet in high school. He joined the Marines, goes to Vietnam in 1967. He was part of a um, combined action group, which is an elite team of Marines and Navy uh, corpsmen. I promised myself I wouldn't say corpsman. Corpsman, good. Which I always do. Great job not saying Thank that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Who lived in remote villages? They did humanitarian and psyops work. Oh. Whatever the fuck that means. Ooh. That means you've seen some shit.
0: Yeah. You've been, you've, you've caused
1: some shit. You've seen some oh, shit. That's right. Yeah. You come back, not the same. Yeah. He was in, he was involved in the Tet Offensive. He turned 20 on the sixth day of the Tet Offensive. Oh, 20. Babies. Oh. Babies. He witnessed the death of many friends, including a handful from his hometown, who he convinced to go with him to Vietnam. He was like, come on,
0: fellas, we're going to be heroes. And they Uh all like most of them died. I mean, but that that's the story of Vietnam, right. is that almost all those kids were either drafted against their will or they were like, we got to do what's right. Right. We got to help people. Right. Oh, yeah. But
1: he had convinced them to go with him. So Ugh. I think he was a little bit broken from that. Surely. He was honorably discharged in January 1969 and joined the Seattle Police Department. Um, it seems that he had gone from being a normal teen when he left for Vietnam into a man with a violent temper and PTSD when he
0: returned. Of course. Right. Of course. Um, but, you know, they didn't all fucking kill people. So. No, you're right. Not making excuses. But the PTSD piece, I was actually just listening to this amazing book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. Um, which I will find the, the author of after. Cause I don't want to totally derail you, but it was, it's a guy who does a lot of trauma work as a wow. doctor, a, um, a psychiatrist. I believe in psychologist who does a lot of trauma work. And he started by working with, he's one of the first people to work um, through veterans affairs in the VA office um, with soldiers who later they would right. realize had PTSD. But at the time it was just people who were like, I'm trying to live my life, but these nightmares, right. like, I have nightmares. I wake up screaming. I have an, a, a, like a violent temper and all this stuff. And it was because everything they went through was unprocessed. Yeah. And our culture at the time was like, be a man and keep your mouth shut. That's just right. drink. Yeah. They didn't acknowledge it at no. all. It's horrifying. I want so, yeah. read that for
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, he was praised for his kindness, courtesy, and professionalism when he was a beat cop, but he then had a few violent and questionable run-ins. So, in April 1970, he used a wrestling hold to restrain a, quote, violent and unmanageable vet who was threatening hospital staff, and the man died as a result of the hold. Yeah. But they kind of swept it under the rug. In 1974, a man claimed that uh, Kruger and his partner badly beat him in a a parking garage. And Seattle PD paid this victim $3,000 as like... Compensation to pay him off. Right. In 1977, Kruger, then 29, was sitting in his patrol car when a prowling suspect named Roger Lee Stanley, who was 31, allegedly lunged into the car through the driver's side window and tried to stab him with a large kitchen knife. Kruger was able to pull his revolver out and fatally shot this man four times. Uh, yeah a jury deemed the killing justified but after the shooting kruger's health career and marriage fucking collapse
0: horrifying that's right uh i feel like juries almost always have that finding though right especially back then which isn't doesn't isn't we to don't say it's we not really true. don't know what any of it means yeah yeah because it's hard to actually it It's hard to not feel like there is a bias about those stories and how they come out. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: In 1979, a PCP user tried to shoot Kruger with his own gun. He brutally beat the man, only stopping because other officers showed up. He was removed from active duty and referred to a psychologist and a friend actually took all his guns for safe, safekeeping at the time as well. That's good. Yeah. People were worried about him. Yeah. In early 1980, he left the police force on a disability retirement, but it's rumored that he had become a liability to the force and had been forced to retire. So he's like in his thirties and retired from the police force. Well, also I disability. feel like
0: the, it, I understand the logic of it. You're in the military and then a police job would would seem to you have the training for and the experience to do that except for it's like doubling down on all. yes you have this terrible ptsd and suddenly it's like high stress situation you're in combat still in your mind totally horrible so he promptly took a bank robbery oh oh okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) he was convicted multiple times and he was in and out of jail when his dna was put into the system it matched the dna found at the mike Emmert murder all the way into in 2010 Whoa. once the ski mask was pulled off. Oh my so God. it wasn't until then that they fucking put it together that it was him. Um, I think that Mike Emmert's wife was really upset that they hadn't run the DNA sooner. I'll tell you why. Because they're like, great, so we know who this Stephen guy with a limp is, finally. It's mm-hmm. not Stephen Ray Morris. Right. Phew. Finally. Um, and let's get him and put the puzzle pieces together, but No. The plot thickens. Oh, see, in September 2011, about a year and a half after the attempted home invasion, Gary Krueger's body was found floating in Lake Washington. Oh, found nearby, nose down at the bottom of the lake, was a nine-foot aluminum skiff that had been stolen from the McAllister's neighborhood the night of the crime. Is the skiff a boat? A skiff is a boat, little boat, apparently. Okay, so essentially, they're trying to make a getaway. From the McAllister Dr. McAllister fucking thing. Got it. They steal a skiff boat <laughs> and they get onto Lake uh, Washington. Okay. And they crash and drown and something and he dies. Whoa. And it isn't for like another year and a half that they find his body floating in there.
0: Oh my water. god. Okay. You were right when you said it gets weirder. Yeah um
1: inside the boat was a duffel bag with plastic hand restraints duct tape and extra ammo so it looks as though gary died in an accident trying to flee the home invasion okay but they're able to tie uh his dna back to fucking 10 years ago mike emmert's weird fucking bathtub murder in this house for sale right and they're like let's put these fucking pieces like why this guy must be a hitman right They put the pieces together. They able to connect Kruger to at least two other murders and surmise that he had become a hitman. Oh, my God. It's hard to say exactly what the murders motives all were, but real estate seems to be a through line in many of the cases. After he'd retired from the police force for a really quick time, he'd become a real estate agent. Um, Mike Emmert was a realer. One of Kruger's other alleged victims was a real estate attorney. His name's Jim Barry. Okay. On February 7th, 1984, Jim Barry, who specialized in real estate and fraudulent break- bankruptcy cases, is found in his office by his wife at 3 a.m. He shot five times wow. and stabbed 11. This is 8, 1984. His wallet, watch, and jewelry are missing, and detectives always believe that Barry was no random homicide victim and believe that the motive on, may, um, on this may have been revenge. You see, Mr. Barry worked for the Rainier Bank at the time, and uh, Gary Kruger had some outstanding loans at that bank uh-huh. they, they put together. they didn't put this together until much fucking later. Right. There was some direct correspondence from Mr. Barry's office to the Kruger home that he needed to pay those bills. So they think that maybe uh, Gary was just pissed off about those loans. So he might have just been a hitman for fucking for himself.
0: Oh, my Is that a God. No. Well, I mean, yeah, If you if you... Yeah. <laughs> If He he could have been doing it for other people, and then it was just like, but I'll also take care of what I want to take right, care of. Right, right. It seems like he had kind of
1: no rules at that point in his life. Yeah. So another one um, was that of Mario Vaccarino, who was the leader of both Seattle's Local 8 and the International Hotel and Restaurant Employees Union. And So he was trying to unionize these people who didn't want to fucking be unionized. Around the time of his death, he was super outspoken. He was leading protests on downtown Seattle hotels and food establishments, pressuring owners to accept unions, and there were rumors that he was cooperating with a federal organized crime investigation. Oh wow. So on the morning of Friday, October 25th, 1985, Vacarina's badly beaten body was found floating face down in his bathtub, his clothes and a bathrobe still on and water running. His car was driven away from the crime scene and dumped in a public parking lot, and his wallet is pr- uh, prominently left for anyone to find at a local strip club called My Place. Same pattern. Same fucking pattern. Um, There's also Parmesan cheese sprinkled over the victim as if it were some sort of calling card for a mob hit or a rat. So I think he was just trying to lead investigators elsewhere. Toward the mafia or some sort of, like, this is the union. Uh, Yeah. issue. Right. When really, so the case is cold for the next 27 years, investigators thinking it was a mob hit, but then it turned out that a longtime friend of Gary Kruger mentioned um, to him that Vaccarino was going to fire him. They realized that, that there's a connection between Gary Kruger and a friend of his. And so he maybe just killed the guy because his friend was going to get fired. There's a (sighs) DNA hit in 2011 that proved the connection. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. So he's like a bet like Charles Bronson gone awry. Yeah, he's he's doing things for vengeance, but not with not with justice in mind, just for self-serving purposes. Exactly. Oh my
1: God. There's this other one. Um, this is a case that True Crime Diary, where Michelle brought it up, as she she never finished investigating, but she said maybe it's connected to this murder, and it is, of Thomas C. Wales. He was an assistant United States attorney in Seattle and a gun control advocate. He was the victim of an unsolved murder that has been characterized as an assassination. On the evening of October 11th 2001, um, he is sitting at his computer in his Queen Anne home office basement, and there's a window there. A gunman enters the backyard, avoids the security lights, and he as he sits in his basement, um, desk working near an open window. The murderer shot multiple times through the window, hitting Wales in the neck.
0: Oh my God. Um, the
1: killer left shell casings behind. The shots were heard by a neighbor who called 911. And because he was a federal prosecutor, and actually the only U.S. federal prosecutor in history to have a, become a victim of assassination, like this case is fucking huge. Yeah, An airplane pilot that Wales had prosecuted was investigated and his home searched, but he wasn't charged. Um the, the airline pilot and he was also a fire this guy was also a firearms enthusiast but agents believe that he resented so Gary Kruger has no known links to Wales, but there is a link to this other dude that he had done shit with, Bradshaw. Mm. Um, he had been prosecuted by the Seattle office of the Department of Justice. And in 2001, Bradshaw, who was one of the home invasion robber guys, had pleaded guilty to federal mon- money laundering charges and was sentenced to eight years in prison. So it's possible it was another fucking vengeance murder. That's right. Wow. Wales specialized in federal fraud cases, which included money laundering, so it's possible that he was connected to that. Um, Other murders, another suspected murderer is a victim is ex-cop and gas station owner Terry Dolan, who in 1981 was shot in what appeared to be a stage robbery at his gas station. And Snohomish County, mother of five, Cheryl Gross, who according to her husband Tom Gross, ran off. You know how mother of fives like to do in the hotel from the hotel they were staying at in 1991. The woman's husband was suspected of being involved, but had an alibi for the night she vanished. And it turns out that Gary Krueger was a good friend of the husband and was even the best man at Tom, Gr- her and Tom Gross's wedding. Oh, no. But I'm not sure where that case stands today. So it's so hard to find motives. And I think people are really upset that they can't find a motive for the Mike Emmert murder, the one in the very beginning of the story, um, where they hit was Gary Kruger acting as some sort of dickhead vigilante. And um, as for the McAllister attack, the um, home invasion robbery attempt, at first investigators thought it was a botched, just a botched home invasion robbery, but they eventually learned that the real reason for the attack was that Dr. McAllister had refused to do Gary's wife's knee replacement surgery? You got to be fucking kidding me! So he was taking revenge, and maybe he was trying to break into the house to attack the wife to like get back at you know the doctor somehow. That's insane! Like he was trying really hard to get into the house. Like he won want- He was after the wife. Wow! I know. I mean, that's nuts. So it's nuts. They've also been investigating the murder of Mike Emmer. Nothing has been found leaking him to Kruger, to him ever, any of his friends or family. It just it, it there's no known reason why he Brutally murder this guy. Maybe. But it
0: sounds like it could be like he he cut in front of him in line at the grocery totally. store, or, you know, or smirked at him, right? Or yeah, maybe he just something happened and we have no idea what it is. He cut him off in traffic. Exactly. I mean, like that. It sounds like that kind of thing where we're it's um the, he never took care of his PTSD or the, any of yeah. the temper problems, and probably instead of doing anything about them let it grow and take over so then suddenly you're just this uh just an exposed nerve that god forbid anybody (sighs) come anywhere near you you. yeah you
1: bring a cane with a fucking sword in it dude um so gary krueger's body was recovered in lake washington as i said so he's dead john bradshaw's body was not discovered Oh, And some investigators believe he drowned with Kruger that night. The McAllister family, the family of the home invasion robbery, were so fucking afraid that he was still alive that they hired sonar body recovery specialists to find Bradshaw's body in the lake. Nothing was found. Oh, my God. And we still don't know the reason why Mike Emmert was targeted. And that is the the story of the hitman Gary Kruger. Wow. They're fucking...
0: That That was was like like seven seven stories. Scorsese
1: murder. (laughs) I mean,
0: it was a total Scorsese. It was a Scorsese story (laughs) or some shit. It was. So basically, it because it also could have been that the guy that got away murdered gary ooh, in the boat <gasps> You're dumped right. him made it seem like there they go and then whatever i don't know what if they had money what if they had done something else well, they were bank robbers the thing yeah. the thing too is that the people who said that their skiff boat skiff was robbed saw
1: only one set of footprints next to their house where the boat was robbed from
0: because jesus was holding the <laughs> other guy sorry I had to <laughs> you had to it was like what choice do I it was there for you at this point so so, sorry that means one one set of uh, prints toward the
1: boat like one person stole the boat which means the other one skedaddled or was dead
0: okay he could have killed the guy who's m- still missing yeah in carried a way him. that no one found oh right. carried him and he could he could have gone down the
1: river I don't know how bodies work
0: do lakes connect to rivers <laughs> Lotion, you know. What? Let's not us try to solve this. Let's not. Let's not us.
1: But it could be. Uh, how sad for the for Mary Beth that it could be that someone, you know, there could be some real estate agent who like was pissed off that this guy was fucking beating him in real estate. What? How, yes, in the real contests, estate world when they have Contest. those contests. Yeah. And then it basically been, hired some didn't. dude. Or did Or was like, this motherfucker keeps beating me. And the guy was like taking it into his own hands. Oh, my God. It's so fucked up. It's, that's nuts. Yeah. So thanks uh, thanks on Self Mysteries. And
0: thank you so much to True Crime Diary, as yeah. always. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. That was great. Thanks. Do you know what your um, fucking hooray this week is going to be? Well, it was going to be that. The Lizzo concert? (laughs) Kind of. I can't remember how much I've told you of this already. And Stephen, forgive. But I went to a gynecology appointment (laughs) for the first time in, I think, like six years. Karen! No, I know. Karen Marie. Karen Marie Kilgareth. But I, it's the, it goes under the, it's the same as the other one where when I scared myself into thinking I might have breast cancer. Don't deal with it. Don't avoid medical stuff. No. Even if you're broke. And, and I understand that's a, I don't even want to get into that territory yeah. because God forbid. We all know it, it's so difficult. It's very difficult to afford insurance. Nobody can get a job that will cover insurance because everyone's fucking scamming people. We've all and, been broke, but there are affordable uh, resources that you can find in your city. There Clinics there are yes. free clinics, there are places that people have set up because of this exact yeah. situation. Please make sure you go and get your stuff taken care of. I mean, I went to Planned Parenthood up until a couple years ago because yes. I just didn't have the money
1: yes. to to afford even I had insurance and I still couldn't afford the copay and shit. That's right. So
0: yeah, it's just God bless parent, Planned Parenthood. Please donate to them. If yes. you do have money and you're not on the this side of the discussion, yeah. you're if you're on the other side sitting pretty, go ahead and go give $100 to Planned Abs- Parenthood, please. Um, but all that is to be said is I finally did it because, because I had to. And the uh, doctor that I went to was a Canadian miracle. Ugh. She was an older lady. She, um, had her hair up in a bun. She looked like a model for a cookie package. And yet, hip, cool, uh, um, non-judgmental. Not only, yeah, non-judgmental, very much like what what birth control do you need? What this do you need? What that? Where I was like, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be yeah. done. Like, no shame, no whatever. Yeah. And at one point told me I had an absolutely perfect cervix. Karen. Thank you. Karen. Now, I wouldn't have known that, Stephen. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't gone. This is absolutely actionable. Um, my point is, when I keep things in my head as this is a problem, I don't want to do it. This is a negative, And then I don't do that when I finally am forced to, it always turns out that I go, I should have done this five years ago. So please learn from my weird fear-based decision making and just go do it and take care of it because you also don't realize, I don't realize how many amazing, talented people there are out there to help me. I don't believe that is true. Yeah. And I have to keep proving it to myself over and over. I don't have to do it by myself. I don't have to hold things by myself. And there are people who study and make it their life's work because they know how hard it is right. to be like hey guess what not only are you glad you're here and you put your feet up in some stirrups which is very uncomfortable very. but everything looks great and you should like go g- g- walking around with the pride <laughs> of a perfect service. you should use your cervix picture as your new profile because <laughs> it's so fucking perfect i'm gonna you don't even... right up there and just be like what's up i'm on i'm on tinder <laughs> disgusting no you're not steven you here's why you're not allowed to sue us we've given you everything <laughs> Stephen, we give you everything and then you get a little extra. It's not our fault. So I hope you don't cut any of that out. <laughs> Just
1: because we, it's you're going to need it in the court case <laughs> someday. And I would never deprive <laughs> you of that because I care because about you. Because that's how much we've
0: given that's you. That's how much we care. We give you evidence against us.
1: <laughs> well, I guess along those lines for me, too. And I, I feel like I've said this. I feel like in the podcast history, I've said this many times. And it's because I, I guess in the past year... Oh, God. Almost exactly a year ago, my therapist killed herself. Yeah. So I found another new therapist. And this one, I think it's our old therapist. Yes. And I love him so much. And he's really helping me. He told me to write a letter to her, oh. um, which I don't do. And like, I'm such a fucking, I don't do homework and therapy, but it's a good idea. Yeah. Um. So I got another new therapist
0: and that's my fucking array. That's great. It's like the third or fourth time, but well, it's hard. I, I was thinking about that the other day, um, selfishly, because my therapist is on a month vacation. And right when I was getting real, I yeah. was kind of getting almost upset about it. Then I was just like, how about you hold on? Because things are worse. <laughs> There's worse things Thank in the you. world. That's all I want is acknowledgement. A little bit perspective. Um No, it's a horrible, I mean, just all around so much pain all around so difficult. It's just so hard to, but, uh, it's it's been almost
1: exactly a year since it happened. So, God bless yeah. him and she. I think about her all the time. Um, but I'm so glad it's working. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks for great. letting me talk about it. Of course, He's a of lot course. to me. Yeah. Uh, send us your, your fucking hoorays. Comment on our Instagram of your fucking hooray. Like, what's the great thing in your life right now?
0: Yeah, it's good It's good for us to hear other ones so then we can think of the ones that we need to be saying. because <laughs> yeah, it's real hard sometimes <laughs> to think of positive things. <laughs> positive things and things that don't absolutely traumatize Steven. That's true. <laughs> give us give us non-actionable fucking hoorays. <laughs> Please.
1: <laughs> and also stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye! Goodbye. Elvis, you want a cookie? <laughs>